Hello, I'm Angie and I'm here with my sister Joy and today we're discussing yet another of my favorite books, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Just want to mention that today is actually Saturday, October 31st. So Joy and I are sitting here in our childhood home upstairs in one of the spooky bedrooms and uh, you know it's Halloween so this is very fitting I think that we are going to talk about the legend of Sleepy Hollow. So Joy can you think of a more fitting book to discuss on Halloween? No I really love this book. It's the first time I've ever read it. I'm so glad that you mentioned wanting to read it and we are in the perfect setting because this at house we're in it's not really old but probably you know northeastern United States standards like yeah. these houses we're reading here. <laughs> But it's, you know, to us, it's pretty old, and it's kind of creepy. And it's 50 years old. It's big. It's it's 50 years old. Or no, it's actually, yeah, it's around 45 years old or something. Okay, so yeah, for, yeah. To us, it's old. And it's surrounded by woods and ponds, and there's some cemeteries. And I don't know. I feel like we're in the perfect mm. setting to discuss We've Sleepy had a Hollow. few ghostly happenings here. Yeah, we've had a few things yeah. that are unexplainable that have happened in this house. So it is the perfect place to discuss Sleepy Hollow. yeah. Yeah, unless we were outside sitting on this beautiful autumn day, I can't think of a better place to be doing this. So, just to start off with, this book was published in 1820. So, you know, last week we did Wuthering Heights, and we talked about how it was the oldest published book we've discussed. It was mm -hmm. it was published in 1847. Well, now we're doing one that was published in 1820, so even older. Okay. And just, I don't know why it just blows my mind to think... Um, that we're discussing a book that's 200 years old. Right, and it's still relevant, and it's still mm -hmm. popular. As a matter of fact, I have to share this quick little tidbit. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I have to do for this class, uh, where, you know, I'm trying to become a librarian, I have to spend so many hours at an elementary library. And the day I went to try to get some of these hours, the librarian was actually reading the book Sleepy Hollow mm. to all of the classes at this elementary school. Awesome. And it was really cool because she actually read the children's version of the book, and then she showed them pictures of the actual town of Sleepy Hollow and Terrytown. Hmm. She showed them Washington Irving's grave, and she showed where people put pumpkins on his grave even to this day. Aww. Like you said, 200 years later, and the kids really get into it. And I know we're going to get into it, but she talks about the ending of the book, and she asks their opinion. And I was pretty surprised. We were in a room full of third graders, mm -hmm. and I was thinking, they're not really going to get this book. They're not going to really get what happened at the end. I know it's not black and white, what happens at the end. There's only like two possibilities, I yeah. think. Yeah, uh-huh. But they were smart, and they figured it out. Uh, they knew. They figured it out uh, prob probably, probably yeah. what happened. Yeah. And I was pretty surprised that they were able to figure that out. But it's cool. She said it's one of her favorite books. She says she does it every Halloween. Mm -hmm. And her and her husband are planning on visiting Terrytown. And I told her, oh, my sister and I, we want to visit Terrytown mm -hmm. someday. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So I can't wait. That's on our bucket list, mm -hmm. and we both want to visit Sleepy Hollow. I want to see the church. I want to see the bridge. Oh, yeah. Uh, I want to see all that. I think it'll be fun. Yeah, uh, I agree. So the author is Washington Irving, and, and this is what's really interesting to me about Washington Irving. Even if you've never heard of him or you think you've never read any of his writings, you have. Okay. Okay. So they're just two of his, the two of his most famous stories, of course, are Sleepy Hollow and Rip Van Winkle. Well, oh, I forgot about Rip Van yes. Winkle. So, I totally forgot. So here's the deal, Joy. Mm -hmm. I, I seriously believe you and I could walk up to anybody on the street today and we could say, 
have you ever read Sleepy Hollow or Rip, Rip Van Winkle? And they'd probably say no, mm-hmm. but they could tell you what the story was about. Yeah, but they still would be familiar with the story. Yeah, so, so think about that for a minute. The, the thing that struck me about this story, because so like I said before, it was written in 1820. It's This is his 200th anniversary, mm-hmm. and we're sitting here talking about this today. And... Uh, and I, this is very. This was one of the most fascinating things to me about Washington Irving. He actually wrote a story one time, and it's about a man who walks into Westminster Abbey, into one of the libraries at Westminster mm-hmm. Abbey, and he opens a book. And as soon as he opens the book, they call it a tome. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. T O M E. Anyway, mm-hmm. this little. The book starts talking to him. Okay. And he's bemoaning his fate and how he's been sitting in this library for 20 years and no one, he's the, this man is the first person who's opened him up. Is this a short story he wrote? Yes, this is a short story that he wrote. And so the book is bemoaning the fact that no one has read me. You're Mm -hmm. the first person who's opened me. So in my opinion, that's Washington's angst. Of, of, he's showing what writers feel that mm-hmm. they're, it, it's so important. They want to write a piece of literature that stands the test of time. Yes. And here we are reading his book. And it is very interesting that it, it's a, exactly 200 years later. Yes, yes. Wow. And I just thought that was so interesting that, of all people, he wrote that story. And here we are reading a book that millions and millions of people know to this day. Yes. So it, it has stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, one of the things I read about um, Irving is, is he is brilliant at evoking a time and a place that has gone forever. And I mm-hmm. think that is the appeal of Sleepy Hollow. Okay, so like you said before, you know, Sleepy Hollow is definitely the perfect Halloween story. Okay, it's all about mood. Yes. Right? Okay, so you got... Setting and mood, for yeah, sure. Yeah, so they talk... In the book, they talk about food. They talk about ghost stories. Uh, it's the setting, of course, in you know uh, d- along the Hudson River Valley, uh, and then like you even alluded to this earlier, it's not knowing what really happened at the yes. end. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. that mystery of unsolved mystery. Yes, yes. So it's it's just perfect. Um, so, and I, I think like it's funny. A lot of the things I've that I've in preparation that I thought I was going to say, you've already said. But um, I think it should be. Again. It's okay. <laughs> I, I just think it should be a Halloween tradition, just like the teacher, how she has a mm-hmm. tradition. I think that families should read it every year. In you know, may, I don't know if it'd be for younger kids, but mm-hmm. maybe with their older kids. She did say that she does not do, she did not read the book to kindergarten, mm-hmm. first or second. I could see that. She did yeah. save it for third and fourth because she thought it would be a little too scary for yes. those younger kids. Yeah, I could see it being a little scary for the, the younger kids. Okay, so the story is set in 1790 in the countryside around the Dutch settlement of Terrytown, which you mentioned, and it is actually a, it's an actually a real place. It's historical Terrytown of New York, and it's set in a secluded glen known as Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow is known for its ghosts and the haunting atmosphere that pervades the imaginations of its inhabitants. The most infamous specter in the hollow is the Headless Horseman, supposedly the ghost of a Hessian trooper whose head had been shot off by a stray cannonball during the Revolution, and who rides forth to the scene of battle in nightly quest of his head. That's how I want to (laughs) go. A cannonball to the head. (laughs) Never know what hit you. Yeah, you never know what hit you. Okay, so, and I'm I'm curious if you know this. Okay, the Sleepy Hollow, I guess you figured out, it's not really a book or a novel. It's a short story. Okay. Um, it was actually part of a sketchbook. Okay, mm. so and I don't know if you know what a sketchbook is. 
I guess not. Is it kind of like a comic strip or something? Well, no. So back in the day, writers would write, they would write series of short stories Mm -hmm. or maybe essays. Right. And they would put them all together in a book. Oh, okay. okay. So it was kind of like a sketchbook. It was like a sketch of all these different stories. Oh, I was thinking literally sketching. Well, there are are Mm -hmm. sketchbooks where people actually sketch images, Mm -hmm. but there's also sketchbooks that writers... So it's like a sketch or just a snippet of... Yes. Yeah. It's a short story or an essay. Okay. Okay, so the the sketchbook of Jeffrey Crayon was commonly referred to as the sketchbook. Okay, that was written by Washington Irving. It's a collection of 34 essays and short stories. Okay, it was published serially, if I said that right, throughout 1819 and 1820. Okay, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow was the the third story in the sixth installment of the sketchbook. Oh, so it was one of many. It was one of many. Okay. But, for some reason, that particular story within all those other stories is what catapulted him to international fame. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, tell me about your knowledge of the legend of Sleepy Hollow. Had had you ever read the story or any version of it before now? No. So, okay. here's the deal. Like, and you made a good point earlier. I had never read the story. Okay. But I've seen a cartoon version of it. And, of course, there's <laughs> yeah. the Johnny Depp movie version. Yeah. And I remember trying to watch it. And, trust me, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> fan of old JD but um I don't know why I just could not get into the movie I was probably tired at the time or whatever so I did see part of the movie I have seen a cartoon version (laughs) but I've never read the story but yet like you said earlier and that was a great point even though so many people have never read the short story Mm -hmm. they at least know know the story so I was really glad that you suggested this story and I did enjoy listening to it once again the older language Mm-hmm. It's hard to comprehend yeah. it as easily, but he is a. I, I'm glad that now I've read something by him, and it and he is a good writer, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I did enjoy listening to it. It was very different. Okay, I'm I'm glad you actually mentioned that you saw a cartoon mm-hmm. and the Johnny Depp version of Sleepy Hollow. Yes, because I apparently just snippets of it. Well, <laughs> I love that word. And, and the reason I say I'm glad you mentioned that is because when you do a search on the internet to find movies about Sleepy Hollow, mm-hmm. guess what comes up? Johnny Depp. A Disney movie mm-hmm. of Sleepy Hollow, Mr. Toad, and sleep, something about Mr. Toad, or there's a frog in there or something. Okay. And then and then you got your Johnny Depp movie, which is not true to the book. Okay, it's... I remember you saying that the movie is not... It, well, it strays pretty far from well, the Well, isn't he Ichabod Crane in the movie? And he's, he's actually sent as a detective to... De- he's supposed to... He's trying to figure out why all these people have died. See, I don't and, even remember that. I know. And, <laughs> and I'm sorry. I mean, I love Johnny Depp, too. But, okay, so here's what absolutely floored me. After 200 years, we haven't had anybody make a true version or rendition of Sleepy oh, Hollow. That's, Come on. You hey, some... somebody fund me and give me some money, and I'll make the dang movie. Right. I'm serious. So you're saying there's not one true to the story I... version of a movie Okay, out there. if there is, I cannot find it. Now, okay. and I, maybe I'm not looking hard enough, mm-hmm. but I have yet to... Now, and I, there was like a silent film that... Um, Will Rogers was in back mm-hmm. in the early days. It wasn't even you couldn't it didn't even have sound yet, right. and he was Ichabod Crane. Will Rogers, I thought okay. that was funny, but that is but, but seriously, if, if there's somebody out there that wants to fund, I would love to mm-hmm. do a movie version of Sleepy Hollow right. and, and keep it true to the book. Right. So. Okay, so you did like it, and you yes. enjoyed reading mm-hmm. it. Okay, so personally, I love the book. Surprise, mm-hmm. surprise, surprise. Okay, so I love everything about it. Um, and here's here's what's cool, Joy. Uh, I actually learned it's a gothic. 
Is oh, it actually a gothic Well, that's true. Story? It's dark. It mm-hmm. has ghost yeah. stories. Because I looked up uh, what genre is this, and it said gothic. I okay. thought, okay. See, I, I didn't even think about what genre No, I didn't either. And so now I'm finally discovering, after all these years, and Joy and I are officially the big 5 now. I guess I'll say uh, that. You can I, say I, it. I know. I hate to say it because it was a big a bummer. But anyway, um, <laughs> I'm finally figuring out, after 50 years, that not only do I like historical fiction, I guess I apparently I like gothic novels, too. Mm-hmm. So, okay. And here's the thing. It is a quick read, okay? I love mm-hmm. that it's a quick read. It's a, it's a short story. You can listen to an audible. It was an hour and 15 minutes. Right. So, it's not, not a long read at all. It can easily be listened to or read on Halloween. Um, and matter of fact, one of, it's one of the, one of my favorite books that I own is a it's Legend of Sleepy Hollow and I got it on eBay and it's an oversized children's book mm-hmm. and I love this book. It's got the coolest I know every year I pull it out and I'm like, Joy, mm-hmm. look at this book. And it's got the coolest illustrations yes. in it. Ever. And I think we should upload it to our website. Yeah, I'm going to definitely, I'm actually going to put some and illustrations. Put a link and, and take yeah. some pictures. Yeah, because the pictures are really awesome. And I hate to say this, but like if my house was on fire, that'd be one of the things I'd grab. <laughs> I mean, wow. I just love it. It's like mm-hmm. one of my favorite Not important books. medical yeah. records or anything like that. Exactly. Like that my, my medical records, birth certificate, who cares? But my Sleepy Hollow book, it's, yeah. it's not going in the flames, right. let me tell you. Okay, <laughs> okay so uh, there's Let's talk about the setting of the book, okay? okay? So there's one thing I've discovered in the last few years. Um, well, obviously, England is my favorite setting across the mm-hmm. sea. But if I had to pick my favorite location here in the United States, mm-hmm. it would definitely be the Hudson River Valley. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. The Hudson River Valley, beautiful. it's not only beautiful, but it's full of history. Yes. Okay? Mm-hmm. And the way he described the book in the area, it made me want to pack a suitcase and just go mm-hmm. and just go spend a week there, you know, and uh, you know, he just has such a way of making it sound so beautiful and inviting mm-hmm. and that's and the way sleepy. which mm-hmm. I'm hoping this is our next book. I think it is The Widow's House. Mm-hmm. It's set in the Hudson River Valley. Yes, yes. And to me, that was one of the big draws, one of the things I liked most about that book. Yeah. So we have got to take a road trip to the Hudson River Valley. Oh, I'll, I want to do, there's actually an American cruise line. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. ever heard of it, but they do uh, cruises down the Hudson River. Oh, yeah. And, oh, that's my dream. That then would we be, need to yes. do that. Yeah, sure. it's expensive, but I would love to do that. But here's something interesting. You know how... Uh, Mark Twain is he's kind of synonymous with the Mississippi yes. River. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Washington Irving he's kind of become synonymous with the Hudson River. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I thought didn't that was that, that was interesting. Okay, so the story itself to me is irresistible. You you've got all these unforgettable characters, and you know every time we do a podcast, you always talk about. What makes you like a book? Well, mm-hmm. it's unforgettable characters. Well, mm-hmm. you got your backward school teacher, Ichabod Crane. Mm-hmm. Joy, can you kind of describe Ichabod? <laughs> How would you describe him? It is funny because it's even true to this day, to modern day. Mm-hmm. So really, he's not attractive. He's lanky. He's tall. He's, you know, there's nothing special about him as far as personality or physical appearance. But yet, he's kind of a big deal because this is a rural country, little school, and because he's something different, and he's a novelty. There you go. And, okay. Yes. Okay. And I've seen this play out because I taught. You mean like in real life? In real life. So, oh. I've seen this play out <laughs> in schools where I've worked. Okay. So, I worked at a really small school. We're talking really small country school, like the grades 7 through 12 were in the same building. Mm-hmm. And then we would have 
a new teacher come in. I remember, I'm not going to say any names, but I remember <laughs> a male teacher coming in. And, and I'm nothing to look at, so I can say this, but he wasn't much to look at. And he, you know, he wasn't Mr. Personality, but guess what? Half the girls had crushes on him. Really? Because he paid attention to them. Oh. Not in a bad way. He wasn't yeah. a weird teacher or yeah. anything. But he was nice to them and, yeah. and, show, and listened to what they had to the say. Kids crave attention. And they would yeah. have crushes on him. And I thought, you know... Put this in a different setting, mm-hmm. like in a big, huge school or somewhere else. You know, it wasn't a small country school, and they wouldn't look at him twice. Am I right. making sense? Yeah. It's like a, you know, it's like having a, a a big fish in a little pond. Yes. Have you heard that? Yes. So yes. I, I totally related that these that he was get even though he was nothing special, he was getting attention. But it's just because to. I don't know. I feel like he got a little bit of attention well, from the girl. See, well, I feel uh, like you're being too kind in describing <laughs> the character of Ichabod. Well, I mean, the way he described him. Yeah, he sounds like he his, was His arms very nearly dangled to his legs. Mm-hmm. I said his feet were as big as shovels. Mm-hmm. His, he had a pike nose. Yes. He uh, he had a nasally voice when yes. he sang. So, so, but didn't the girl still pay yes, attention to yes, him? So, That's my point. Yeah, so because there was no one else to pick from. Yeah, so this is what <laughs> I love about Washington Irving. Okay, mm-hmm. okay I don't know, and I can't really get into his whole background because we just don't have the time. Mm-hmm. But he was a satirical writer, okay? He mm-hmm. so he had a way of making fun of people, mm-hmm. but in in a serious way. But so you got the joke, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So in this novel, it's so funny because he truly is like uh, you said, like he's a novelty. He, he sounds like a goofball, and he is yeah. a, the biggest goofball, most backward uh, man, unattractive, like mm-hmm. just not desirable at mm-hmm. all. But. Because he was a teacher, mm-hmm. and because he had read several books through. Now, yes. that was one of my favorite lines in yeah. the book. He had se- read several books quite through. Yeah, he had actually read them. Because he yeah. had actually read a couple of books and actually mm-hmm. owned some books. And had some not yes. compared to the other people yes. he was educated. Yes, exactly. So you got these country bumpkins, as we call them in our, mm-hmm. in our neck of the woods. So you got these country bumpkins who... You know they 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 probably don't go but a few miles down the road. They've probably never been anywhere outside mm-hmm. of their home. And then you've got someone that comes in that actually speaks differently than they do. Mm-hmm. He has a different air about yes. him. He has a little bit of education and mm-hmm. knowledge. So all of a sudden he's he's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. But you know? don't you find it true? Because my mm-hmm. husband makes this remark all the time. How did? How did he get her? Like, if he oh, sees yeah. a guy that he doesn't think is very attractive with a really pretty girl, I said, it's not always looks. Because so you can have looks, and if you have the worst personality, yes. it just kills it. And then yes. I said, you can just be an average-looking guy, mm-hmm. and if you have a charisma, and you're charming, and you have a really genuine, a good personality, it's a game-changer. And that's what he doesn't understand. Yes, I agree I'm 100%. Because like, yes. he's looked at some of my past boyfriends and yeah. said, what? <laughs> what are you thinking? And I'm None of your boyfriends. Yeah. <laughs> and so nothing against them because once again I'm nothing to look at. But he's like, you could do better than that. I'm like, it's uh, not always about looks. It's about yes. personality and can you connect and can you have a conversation with that yeah, person? Yeah, I worked at a place one time that there was literally about 1,600 people in the plant, and, and and there was no doubt in anyone's mind who the best looking man was there. Mm-hmm. He was just a GQ good looking right. guy. But after I met him. Mm-hmm. And talked to him a few times. I did. I just he did not have a very good personality, right. and all of a sudden he wasn't so attractive. Exactly, yeah, personality so. is everything. Yeah, and that's what I think Washington Irving did with this guy. He was nothing to look at, but he had a little education, yeah. and apparently, I just love how he just had some laughs at his expense, <laughs> yes, and, and even yeah. at the settler's expense. Oh yeah. Okay, so then we got the beautiful and rich Katrina Van Tassel. Mm-hmm. You know, she's. It's so funny how they described her. She was plump and rosy, mm-hmm. and, and she was a coke. 
What's the coquettish? Word? coquettish. Yes, I, yeah. I don't know what that, that means. That means like if I, I could, I don't know if I'm getting this right, but it's like someone who flirts mm. uh, just for their own gain. Okay. It's not, they're not flirting because they really like someone. It's maybe God, that's, they just that flirt for bright. their own gain yeah. or just because it's fun to do it at okay. other expenses and watch people squirm or watch their reaction. And I think it's really funny because, you know, it, it, so we got a, he's writing this a couple hundred years ago and they're mm-hmm. describing a beautiful girl and they describe her as plump. And I just mm-hmm. think it's so funny how our society has it has changed because back then we think beauty is a, a an hourglass figure mm-hmm. you know skinny. And, and skinny and you have to look like almost like a man because you work out so much yes. and then back then though it was like if you were plump and had that showed a, a, you you had enough food and money mm-hmm. and yeah that was yeah to be that plump was more showed, of a sign of beauty yeah, yeah it was more of a sign of beauty and to wealth yeah. yeah and what's funny to me is through the book he likes her and he's she's attractive but he's really more interested in her father and his farm and his wealth because he has a huge appetite and I'm literally a huge appetite for food and he's sitting there salivating looking at all the hams Mm -hmm. and all the fruit and everything that and the the corn that's Mm -hmm. that's, the harvest that's coming in and he's salivating thinking about what he could have if he could get this girl's hand in marriage okay now one of my favorite um and we're not really, I didn't even write now. I wasn't going to ask you about your favorite characters, but one of my favorite characters is Brom Bones. Mm-hmm. So he is her suitor. So he's kind of like, um, uh, he would be an adversary or mm-hmm. a competition for mm-hmm. Ichabod Crane because Brom Bones, he is wanting the hand of Katrina Van See, Castle. he's actually a pretty smart character because mm-hmm. he doesn't, uh, he sits back in the background and kind of watches everything play out. He's an mm-hmm. observer. Yeah. To me, that's what I got Brown out of it. Yes. He would sit back and observe. And it's, I think once okay. or twice it even said in there, he just sat back and just kind of took yeah. it all in. But you also saw the how much uh, how mischievous he was. Yes. Yeah, yes. he was very mm-hmm. mischievous. And even to the point... Loved to play jokes Didn't they people. say he went in one time to the schoolhouse and turned everything upside down? Yeah, it or, seems like Or it. turned everything backwards. I know he was known for practical jokes. He was Which really for, plays into the end, yeah. how we interpret the ending. And one of my favorite passages in the book, and I do not know why, but this just... Something struck me with this passage was it talked about... Bomb, Brom Bones and his friends riding around at midnight causing mischief. Mm-hmm. And so I actually wrote down this quote from the book. It says, Sometimes his crew would be heard dashing along past the farmhouses at midnight with whoop and halloo like a troop of Don Cossacks. And the old dames, startled out of their, startled out of their sleep, would listen for a moment till the hurry-scurry had clattered by and then exclaim, Aye, there goes Brom Bones in his game. See, that's Washington Irving throwing us a bone, helping us to figure out the ending. Oh, well, see, I didn't even think about uh, that. Yeah, that's, okay. that's him helping us make that decision at the end. Okay. He has to give us enough information okay. to make an educated guess at what happens at the end. Okay, well, the same, I, I wasn't even looking at that angle. My angle was... How cool is that? Mm-hmm. That they're out on these back roads in the uh, back yeah. in the 1700s, mm-hmm. riding on their horses, galloping mm-hmm. around at midnight. How fun would that I have know. been? And dangerous, know. but yeah, because you can't see. Yeah, <laughs> and so uh, so we got Brom Bones, Katrina Van Tassel, Ichabod Crane, and then of course the Dutch settlers, mm-hmm. who are the the bone. Who, they're the uh, the base of the story, so mm-hmm. to speak, or the the meat of the story. Yeah. Okay, so they're apparently they were very superstitious. They told tall tales, ghost stories. Okay, then you throw in a headless horseman, and, mm-hmm. and boy, do we have a timeless story. Yes, okay. very okay. intriguing. So just to sum up the story, we're like I told Joy before the podcast, I'm not really getting into this the 
what happened and why. You know, cause this, I just want the, I hope as listeners, you, you will go in and, and listen to it yourself. But to me, the reason this has such a timeless appeal is Irving's descriptions of nature and setting and mm-hmm. tone. Okay, he evokes all the senses, sight. Sound, touch, taste, smell. And his imagery of Sleepy Hollow and the Tappan Zee and the cooler weather, the bonfires, the harvest, all of that resonates with me because I love fall mm-hmm. so much. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming this was set in fall because mm-hmm. of the pumpkins mm-hmm. that were around and there was a pumpkin at the end of the story. But anyway, you find all these images in the story. And the other thing I love was the Dutch settler's way of life. Okay, I love how the people in this era they worked hard you know that it was you you worked a full day you they would get together at social events at church they actually sat around fires telling stories about the war and i know i just mentioned that but that's what i love about this story this story makes me want to go sit on my front porch mm-hmm. it makes me want to actually go out and listen to the to nature the birds the crickets the hoot owls it, it just, I don't know about you, but it just makes me long for a simpler time mm-hmm. when life was not all about technology and the rat race and in and, and the way we live today when people were actually aware and they knew their neighbor and they were aware of their mm-hmm. surroundings. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Okay. All right. I think that's what I love about this book. It just brings me back to that simpler mm-hmm. place in time. Okay, so that was pretty much all I was going to talk about about the book. Did you have anything you want to add before I talk no, about Washington? I agree Irving? with you. It's, I like that it's kind of... It's uh, slow-paced, and people actually had time to sit around this fire and tell stories, and they're not on that hamster wheel, go, mm-hmm. go, 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 like we are today. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the, the creature comforts we have today yes. that they didn't have back then, but I wish we just weren't so immersed in our phones and technology, you know, yes. that we were more and enjoyed our neighbors more. Okay, so um, we're going to talk about Washington Irving just a little bit. Now, you, you tell me you don't know much about Washington Irving, All I right? know is he's buried in that cemetery mm-hmm. in, uh, I guess, it's, I don't know if it's Terrytown or Sleepy Hollow. I think he's, yeah, I don't, uh, prob- probably Terrytown. And I know it's by, it's by the old Dutch church. It's by the church, and it's pretty cool. They say that even to this day, yeah. people leave pumpkins on his grave. Yes. That he's still remembered to this day. And I had forgotten that he wrote... Uh, Rip Van, Rip Van Winkle. Winkle. Now, isn't that church, isn't it, wasn't it built like in 1640 or maybe yeah, not that long? I think it's really it's, old. It's really old. And from what I read, it's still in use to this day. It, yeah, yeah. You can, so you can cool. Google images of the Dutch church. And there's and also a few famous there. people buried near him. One's a Rockefeller, I think. Oh. And I can't remember. There were three or four people buried in that same cemetery that are very famous. Oh, okay. It's him. And one, I think it's one of the Rockefellers, and I can't remember the other ones. I should have written it down. Oh, okay. Okay, so just a few things about him. I wrote down just some... Okay, he... He had the most fascinating life, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And so I just and I and there is a um, first of all, he's considered the father of the American short story. Okay, see, okay. I didn't know. Uh, there is a YouTube video, and it's called it's called Washington Irving American Dreams, and I would highly recommend it. I don't remember how long it is; it wasn't that long, but it's very informative and it's it's very good. He was, according to the video, he was the most popular man in America at one point. Really, he was. They said in that day and time, he would have been the pop culture of the day. Okay, okay? and he was born the year the Revolutionary War ended. 1783, mm-hmm. and he died two years before the Civil War began. So he literally never lived during one of the major wars. He died, he was born after the Revolutionary mm-hmm. War, before the Civil War. Okay. And they said 
Because he was born after the Revolutionary War, after all that tumult, we're forming a new... Remember how we mm-hmm. talked about our nation wasn't immediately formed mm-hmm. when we talked about Hamilton? And it went through so much went to get to where it is today. Yes. So they said his writings was, were actually kind of like a vo- the voice of a new nation. Okay, mm-hmm. He gave our nation a voice through his writings. And they said he actually helped establish our nation, given an identity. Oh. Okay. okay. So that's, I thought that was very interesting. He was born in New York City. He was the youngest of 11 children, and he was of Scottish-English descent. Okay. This was the most interesting thing to me about him. He had a chance encounter with George Washington in mm-hmm. New York City in a bookstore or bookshop, as they would have called it. Okay. So, at one point, the government was temporarily located in Lower Manhattan. I didn't know that, yeah, but there was a period that's where... in my dear Hamilton. So, he was with his nanny in a store when George Washington walks in. The nanny walks over to President George Washington and says, you know, excuse me, sir, whatever she would have said, I, I just want to tell you that this little boy was named after you. Oh. And, you know, and that he was named after oh, you. Oh, I never thought about that. He was named after He was George named Washington. after him. So they said the president walked over, laid his hand on, on Washington Irving's head, and offered him a blessing. Oh. Yeah. So... So so Washington Irving, that event impressed him so much. He Mm -hmm. had he commissioned someone to paint a watercolor of the meeting and he hung in his bedroom for you. Washington Irving had someone paint that scene. Yes. Wow. Yes, he had someone paint a watercolor. Wouldn't it be cool if that painting still existed? I saw a picture of it on the internet. I'm assuming it was the original, so I think it does. That's cool. So in 1798, he was sent upriver to live with his family, friends, in Terrytown to avoid a yellow fever outbreak. Okay, so he was 15 years old. And here's where he got to observe the Dutch way of life. He would sit around and listen to them tell stories. And they said he loved exploring the eastern shores of the Hudson River. And they said he would often go squirrel hunting in the nearby hamlet called Sleepy Hollow. Okay, so he was literally roaming these woods, squirrel Mm -hmm. hunting. That's where he's getting all these. Right about what you know. Yeah. And another interesting thing about him, in 1799, Alexander Hamilton founded the New York Evening Post. And as if we have some faithful listeners, they'll know that we've discussed Hamilton in Mm -hmm. the past. Okay, so we know all about Hamilton. So he had a political rival, Aaron Burr, which Mm -hmm. we know that. So Aaron Burr had a... He countered Hamilton's paper by co-publishing a a paper called The Morning Chronicle. Okay, guess who was his editor? Washington Irving? Washington Irving's brother, Peter. Oh, okay. okay. So Irving began writing for The Morning Chronicle. Mm -hmm. And Irving would write humorous columns under a pseudonym. Aaron Burr liked... I wonder why he wrote under a pseudonym. They, uh, it was just kind of a thing. It was very day. common. Yeah, very, and he, and matter of fact, because I know Burr didn't Burr and Hamilton both write under pseudonyms when they were attacking each other because they couldn't. Uh, it it does them. seem like there was a lot mm-hmm. of their writings were. Um, I think they were under anonymous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It said Aaron Burr liked his writing so much he sent a few of the columns to his daughter Theodosia. I thought that oh, was interesting. Okay. But here's the deal: Irving saw his writing as an amusement. He never really looked at writing as a profession. And it was uh, his parents' hope was that he would become a lawyer. So he became an apprentice under a lawyer. But here's the thing: they said he just never did mm-hmm. have the. Oh, help me with the word here. He, he Motivation. Just, yeah, he never, it just wasn't a fit for him, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. They said he just never did, it never It wasn't his out. thing. It wasn't his thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but here's the deal. This, his sketchbook was so successful that he became like a hot commodity. They said, uh, in my research, I found that he was the first writer 
pretty much to ever understand what it meant to make a living by your pen. In other words, mm-hmm. he was getting paid for his writing. Right. Okay? 1832, it says he did a horseback tour of the western United States. It says he went to Missouri, Kansas, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Oh. Okay. Here's what's cool. One day, Mom and I were out. I think we'd been to a ball tournament somewhere. In, uh, anyway, we were coming back through somewhere in Arkansas, and I saw a sign, and it said, uh, Washington Irving Park Ahead. Hmm. And I was thinking... Why in the world mm-hmm. is there a park named after Washington Irving in Arkansas? I could not figure it wow. out. And then when I read this, I thought, oh. That makes sense. Maybe that's where he was. I'm guessing Maybe that that he... must have been the area that he actually traveled through when he mm-hmm. was here. Then in 1835, he purchased 15 acres south of Terrytown. It was a place called Wolford's Roost, and it was a cottage, okay? He transformed that cottage over the next 15 years. He renamed it Sunny Sunnyside. Mm-hmm. And Sunnyside is a famous house even to this day. That's okay. what I was going to ask. So I guess you can go see that yes, when you're there. You can go see it. And they said in its day, there were two famous houses in that area. And mm-hmm. they, they were Mount Vernon mm-hmm. and Sunnyside. He actually referred to it as the money pit because he said he put <laughs> so much money mm-hmm. in it. He, they said he was constantly riding just so he could have enough money to keep refurbishing mm-hmm. this place. Okay. Now, in 1839, uh, this is when up-and-coming authors would started asking him for advice. So he was the person to go to if you mm-hmm. wanted advice. So guess who some of the authors were who sent him stories to listen to, to because they wanted his uh, criti- critique mm-hmm. and his input. Okay, Edgar Allan Poe mm-hmm. sent him two stories. They were Follow the House of Usher and William Wilson. He actually mm-hmm. sent those stories to wow. Washington wanting him to review them. Okay. He also encouraged Cooper... Uh, Edgar Allan Poe, uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne, mm. and Longfellow. Wow. Those are all people who came to him looking for advice. Okay. So the point of that... The shows you he, how famous and popular and respected and, he and was. And influential he was. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these other, the, your, these writings that we've read over the years, mm-hmm. he actually had some influence on their okay, writing. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, and then the last famous person to visit him in 1842 was Charles Dickens. Okay. Mm. Dickens, I so Dickens stayed with him, I think, for like a week at Sunnyside. But here's kind of made me mad. This made me mad about Dickens. I said he went home to England after the visit and he wrote an unflattering satire of the United States. Mm. And it was called Martin Chuzzlewit. And, uh, <laughs> but anyway, that aside, even though he was kind of making fun of, mm-hmm. you know, the U.S. or whatever. Um, I'm sure we weren't sophisticated We weren't enough sophisticated enough. I'm going to quote, or I'm going to read a quote by Irving Below and I want you to tell me what you think he meant by this. Okay. Okay, put you on the spot. So, Washington Irving said, I've attempted no lofty theme, nor sought to look wise and learned. I have preferred addressing myself to the feeling and fancy of the reader more than to his judgment. Hmm. I think he just means I didn't write anything like super important or like really deep theologically. Mm-hmm. But I'm just trying to do what I think the reader would enjoy. Is that kind yes, of what he's saying? that's how okay. I took it. So he said during the day, it was kind of a habit. People were writing stuff because they wanted to look important, and they mm-hmm. wanted to look like, they wanted to look intelligent right. or important. And he was more about, hey, I just want to read something that right. the reader something enjoys. That the reader yeah, enjoy. and yeah. look, and look, guess what? It paid off. It paid off. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And then in an interview in later life, he was asked, "What books do you look upon with the most pleasure?" And he said. I scarcely look with full satisfaction upon any, for they do not seem as what they might have been. Mm-hmm. I often wish I had 20 more years to take them down from the shelf one by one and write them over. I think that's all writers. You're mm-hmm. never fully satisfied. It always could be approved upon. 
It's never... See, that I, blew my mind. I don't know that any writer is ever fully satisfied. They always mm-hmm. think there's something that could have improvement. Okay. Always. Yeah, I, I kind of think the same They're thing. They're their own worst critics. Yeah, and it's so funny because I could never even get close to the level of writing he's at, and yet he still felt like still it wasn't good enough. Of himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he, you know, he had a pseudonym by the name Jeffrey Crayon, and, uh, but his... Jeffrey Crayon, anytime he would write things under that pseudonym, Jeffrey Crayon was portrayed as this... Uh, confident, learned uh, gentleman, mm-hmm. highly educated, well-traveled, all mm-hmm. that, you know. And so, But they said in real life, Irving was nothing like that. Right. They said he would develop these nervous rashes, <laughs> and they said he would fret over money, and they said he was always had anxiety about his legacy. He sounds kind of like Ichabod Crane. Yes, yeah. and so they said, he, they said he kept a whole, uh, a bunch of journals and diaries, and they said all through him you can read about periods where he's frustrated with his writing. Right. Yeah, so I thought that was kind of funny. And then the last thing I want to mention, uh, and on November 28th of... 1859, he was preparing for a bed. He clutched his heart and died. And uh, Longfellow actually wrote a tribute to him. He said, He was the first to win for our country an honorable name and position in the history of letters. And then another person said, He was the first American author, in fact, to break the barrier of the American stereotype. He was no ignorant colonist or rough settler as assumed, but rather the best of tale spinners. Mm. So they said when people in Europe would read his tales and stuff, it would kind of change their image. They Mm -hmm. always looked at uh, Americans as being these backwards colonists and Mm -hmm. backwards. And they said when Irving came along, here comes a sophisticated tale spinner who Mm -hmm. could tell these wonderful stories. You know, so they kind of changed their. uh, It gave some credit. Uh, I guess it just changed the way they thought about yeah Americans. Yeah. Kind of changed the stereotypes. Yes, yes. It just kind of gave him a different image of of America through his writing. But ironically, this part was sad to me. The American authors in the following generation after him are the one who were canonized. Mm-hmm. Okay, they said Emerson, Melville, Poe, just to name a few. So so what the take what I took from this was Irving was a really, really great writer, but because he just did essays and short stories, mm-hmm. it was like he wasn't taken as seriously. Right, that's kind of how mm-hmm. I feel. It's like you have to write this great American novel to be really taken seriously, yes. and he didn't write a great American novel. Right. He it, wrote great short stories. Yeah, some people consider him literally like the father of American literature, some mm-hmm. do, and yet he never got the recognition right. and, and what I feel like he deserved. And that's how yeah. it always is with the people, mm-hmm. uh, the people who pave the way for others. It's always in retrospect that they mm-hmm. are, I guess, that they are appreciated and and get the award, you know, it's always posthumously, and that's yeah. how it is with him. Yeah. Well, it is time for trivia. Woo-hoo! I hope you've got your thinking cap on about I the story. So. <laughs> okay. Okay, so number one, what is the given name of Brom Bones? And this is multiple choice. Oh, good. Because I know it's, it comes from Abraham. Oh, okay. Was it Peter Stuyvesant, Brom Van Brunt, Don Cossacks, or Abraham Van Brunt? It's Abraham. Okay. Ding, 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 ding. And you know, I read that he saw that name on a tombstone. Oh. And also Katrina, and that's where he got the names for his characters, is mm-hmm. that 
one of the graveyards around where he was at. Well, I, and one thing I read was that he actually knew her and asked permission to use her name. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, and see, and, well, and that could be true. I just I know for sure the Abraham he saw on a grave yeah. a tombstone, but the Katrina might. You're right. It yeah. may be a different. But, but story. I will say, I will say this. In doing my research on whether these these characters were based off of actual people, I would read one story that said he got a name off of a, a, a gravestone, and then mm-hmm. I'd read another story that would say, oh, he was a, a, a captain or he. He was doing a survey, and he, mm-hmm. or, or whatever it was. There were, and there would be all these conflicting, conflicting stories. stories yeah, yeah, so it's kind of aggravating. But okay, what number two? What was the name of the horse lent to Ichabod by Hans Van Ripper? Oh, uh, something like tornado or bull <laughs> or you know something scary. Um, oh, oh, it's multiple choice. This one's not. Oh, it's not. <laughs> It's Sorry. like, to, it's something that well, you would be scared to get on it yeah. because the name was it's, like... It's kind of a little unnerving. Devil. Yeah. Yeah, the name is unnerving, but I can't remember Okay, it, it was Gunpowder. Gunpowder. Yeah, Gunpowder. Yeah. Okay, do you remember number three? From what New England state does Ichabod hail? Was it Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Hampshire, or Rhode Island? Okay, I was about to say Connecticut or Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. What were the other two? New Hampshire, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island. I guess... Connecticut. Yeah, it okay. was Connecticut. Very good. And they were, yeah. Okay, do you know the name of Brahms' favorite steed? Oh. <laughs> well, he didn't want to ride anything that wasn't wild and crazy because yeah. he wasn't a man. Mm-hmm. Did I already say it? You kind of said it a while ago. You said part Something of it. Something like tornado or... Bull? <laughs> what was Bull. it? It was something very manly. I don't remember. It's a daredevil. Daredevil. Oh, I said devil. You said okay. devil. Daredevil. Yeah, it was yeah. daredevil. So, so mm-hmm. Ichabod's on gunpowder, and, and Brom was on daredevil. daredevil. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Number five. What is the significance of the church bridge, according to the tales uh, tales of Old Brower and Brom Bones? That's where they people claim to see the headless horseman, right? Okay. So. I'll give you the choices. It's here that the headless horseman always disappears. Mm -hmm. It's where the headless horseman lost his head. It's the most haunted spot in the whole area. Or it's the headless horseman was actually born on the bridge. I thought it was, I just thought that's where he would appear. Maybe it's where he would disappear. It's always where he disappears. Disappears. It's where he disappears. Okay. Okay, number six. Which of these is given as a reason for the drowsy, dreamy influence in the valley where Sleepy Hollow is found? It was cursed by Henry Hudson, bewitched by a high German doctor. It's the spot where witches held their Sabbath. It was hexed by the schoolmaster, Van Bummel. I don't remember this. It was bewitched by a high German doctor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Number seven. At what American Revolutionary War battle did the headless horseman lose his head? Some nameless battle, Battle of Stony Point, Bell's Point, or Cobbleskill. Gosh, I guess it's probably been about a month since I've read this book, mm-hmm. and I'm already forgetting. I don't remember. Okay, it was actually the way he described it in the book was it was some nameless battle. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that was, okay. I love how he said some nameless battle. Right. You know? Okay, number eight, what is another given name for the headless horseman? Old Spook of Spooks? <laughs> Hessian Prince? Ghastly Hessian or Galloping Hessian? I guess... Name them one more time. Old Spook of Spooks, Hessian Prince, Ghastly Hessian, or Galloping Hessian? I guess Galloping Hessian. Yeah, it was the Galloping Hessian. Okay, number nine. What is the only thing 
Ichabod actually says during the whole story, and I never caught this, that he really didn't say anything through the whole story till this Oh, this you're right. They're always just, I didn't catch that. Yeah. They're always talking he about never, him, but he never speaks. He never speaks, but apparently he only says one thing okay. in the entire book. I what? didn't realize that. Yeah, what was it? Is it? Here we go. Here's your choices. If I can but reach the bridge, I am safe. Mm-hmm. In, uh, in linked sweetness, long drawn out. <laughs> Spare the rod and spoil the child, or who are you? Oh, my goodness. I, I, wouldn't he have just thought, if I can make the church, I'll be safe? That would be in his head. Is it who are you? It's who are you. Okay. So, yeah. apparently, that's the only thing he said. Wow. In the and is that when he came up against the headless horseman? I think so. Okay. I think so. Okay. What was Ichabod's weapon against evil spirits when he had to walk to the family with whom he was boarding after nightfall? Was it whistling? Singing psalm tunes, holding up a lantern, or brandishing a crucifix. Oh my goodness, I can't believe how much of that stuff missed. <laughs> I don't know. He would sing psalm tunes. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know he was a singing teacher. Yeah, he would sing that psalms. Makes sense. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's probably what I would do too. <laughs> that makes sense. I'd be quoting yeah. scripture too. Okay, yeah. what was found to mark the spot where Ichabod vanished? Nothing. Hans Van Ripper's saddle, his hat, and a shattered pumpkin or gunpowder. Was it the saddle? It was his hat and a shattered pumpkin. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I knew, didn't they find like a sack that had some of his belongings I, in it? I don't think so. Because they said all that was in there and they named off oh, all the contents of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, there was a bag found, uh, his oh. little bag found, because they even named off everything that was okay. in there. It was like two shirts, a pair of breeches. I remember them okay. going through there and saying it was all of his work. Okay, well, for this one, the spot where he vanished, they said they found his hat and a shattered Okay. Pumpkin. Well, maybe the contents <clears throat> of the bag weren't found there. I don't remember. I don't either. Maybe they were just describing when he would carry the bag from place yeah, there to place was, what was in there. There was a place in the book that they did describe what yes. was in the bag he was carrying. Okay. I'm just yeah. getting that confused yeah. with they found it where he disappeared, but they probably had described that earlier in the book. Uh, yeah, I think okay, so. Okay, that's what it was. Okay, number 12. Who is implied to have been the actual cause of Ichabod's disappearance? Mm -hmm. Brom Dutcher, Major Andre, Brom Bones, or Doff Martling? Okay, Brom Bones. Yeah, he was the one they think probably did it, right? Yeah. Okay. That's what okay. we're led to believe, yeah. Okay, so we're to our, our word rating. Did you have a time to think about a word rating? <laughs> well, I did, but I really couldn't come up with anything. I thought how I'll many... I'll give you a hint. I've okay. said it a whole bunch. I, all this. I can think of is how many brown bones do you give it? Yay! Oh, yay! Twin mommy! Yay! Woo! Yes, it was brown bones. Okay. Brown bones, brown bones. Okay. How many brown bones... <laughs> Do you give Well, I'm going to give it four. Okay. And the only reason I don't give it five is because it is written in the older language mm -hmm. and it's harder to understand and I have to work for it. Yeah. And you have to work for him. Like, and I probably that's not fair to Washington Irving to take away a star because he was writing in the language of his day. But I have to work for it. I'm like, wait, what did he mean by he that? He turning over in his grave right yeah, now. I know. I've got to listen to it again or read it again. I don't get that part. I will so say this. I am glad you mentioned. I will. We do need to tell the listeners, you know, it is written and you know our mm -hmm. language has evolved a lot in 200 mm -hmm. years okay so the some of the word we don't use many of the words anymore mm -hmm. you know the, the structure of the sentences may be a little different so mm -hmm. yes you and if you're like me that's all I read so I'm used to yes. it but I can see how someone who only reads like current contemporary, novels yeah contemporary like I could see how it would be hard so it's not fair to him but because <laughs> I had to work to think about a lot of it I'm only giving it a four star four okay. combos well I'm giving it five so that wipes out your four yes, so, and that's so Washington Irving, should receive. I'm giving you the the 
your uh, five star five brom bones what you deserve. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we're gonna read our favorite passages. Um, and so um, I actually kind of talked joy into reading one of these passages because I wanted to read it, but it was too much for me to read both of them. Mm-hmm. So um, and so the first one it talks about how you know after school uh, Ichabod Crane loved to go out and read books, and it's it's real descriptive. I love it. And then the paragraph after it I wanted to read as well, and I talked joy into reading that one. Okay, so here we go with my favorite passage. Or, and I, I will say this, Joy. The whole book was full mm-hmm. of passages I love. So I just had to kind of randomly just pick one. And can I just bring up, and I I totally didn't pick up with this on myself, but I was in a class one time, and we were studying alliteration. Mm-hmm. And this was they the first few pages of Sleepy Hollow were what they had us read for a good example of a good use of alliteration. Mm-hmm. He used that S sound over and over to almost lull us to sleep. And if you, mm-hmm. if our readers have not read this, at least read the first few pages. Mm-hmm. And over and over, he uses a soft S sounds, and he uses words that are related to slumber and sleep hmm. and being tired. It's almost like he puts us to sleep in the first few pages to really set the mood mm-hmm. for this sleepy little town. I'm so glad you said that. I can just picture going out on a hammock and listening mm-hmm. to this on Audible and just putting mm-hmm. my earbuds in and just laying there listening. Yes, yes it it's is. very soothing. It's that type of book. It really does just want to put you to sleep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. It was often his delight, after his school was dismissed in the afternoon, to stretch himself on the rich bed of clover bordering the little brook that whimpered by his schoolhouse, and there con over old Matthew's direful tales, until the gathering dusk of evening made the printed page a mere mist before his eyes. Then, as he wended his way by swamp and stream and awful woodland to the farmhouse where he happened to be quartered, every sound of nature at that witching hour fluttered his excited imagination— the moan of the whippoorwill from the hillside, the brooding cry of the tree toad, that harbinger of storm, the dreary hooting of the screech owl, or the sudden rustling of the thicket of birds frightened from their roost. The fireflies, too, which sparkled most vividly in the darkest places, now and then startled him as one of uncommon brightness would stream across his path, and if, by chance, a huge blockhead of a beetle came winging his blundering flight against him, the poor varlet was ready to give up the ghost, with the idea that he was struck with a witch's token. His only resource on such occasions, either to drown thought or drive away evil spirits, was to sing psalm tunes and the good people of Sleepy Hollow, as they sat by their doors in an evening, were often filled with awe at hearing his nasal melody, in linked sweetness drawn out, floating from the distant hill or along the dusty road. Yeah, that is awesome. Okay, and I didn't really have time to pick out a favorite passage, but I always love beginning and endings of books, so if you get a chance, read those. But And I read over this one she wanted me to read, and I do love it. Another of his sources of fearful pleasure was to pass long winter evenings with the old Dutch wives as they sat spinning by the fire with a row of apples roasting and spluttering along the hearth and listened to their marvelous tales of ghosts and goblins and haunted fields and haunted brooks and haunted bridges and haunted houses and particularly of the headless horseman or galloping Hessian of the hollow, as they sometimes called him. He would delight them equally by his anecdotes of witchcraft and of the direful omens and portentous sights and sounds in the air, which prevailed in the earlier times of Connecticut, and would frighten them woefully with speculations upon comets and shooting stars, and with the alarming fact that the world did absolutely turn round and that they were half the time topsy-turvy. 
Okay, thank you very much. I'm glad. So those those were actually in sequence, uh, those two paragraphs. And there's another one I would love to have read, but unfortunately, it's just a little too long. So, and the only other thing I really wanted to mention, Joy, was um, the ending of this book. Um, you know what? I am going to read it. Go ahead. I'm just going to read the ending of it because it's very reminiscent of Wuthering Heights. And if mm -hmm. you remember in Wuthering Heights, you read the last paragraph mm -hmm. and how he's looking at the graves of uh, Linton and Kathy, mm -hmm. or I'm sorry, Edgar and Kathy and Heathcliff, and they're talking about the church is decaying, mm -hmm. and occasionally they think they see them out on the meadow and all mm -hmm. that. Anyway, so it's kind of reminiscent of that. The old country wives, however, who are the best judges of these matters, maintain to this day that Ichabod was spirited away by supernatural means, and it is a favorite story often told about the neighborhood round the winter evening fire. The bridge became more than ever an object of superstitious awe, and that may be the reason why the road has been altered of late years, so as to approach the church by the border of the mill pond. The schoolhouse being deserted soon fell to decay and was, re and was reported to be haunted by the ghost of the unfortunate pedagogue and the plowboy loitering homeward of a still summer evening has often fancied his voice at a distance, chanting a melancholy psalm tune among the tranquil solitudes of Sleepy Hollow. Thank you for joining us today, and we will see you next time on Twin, Twin Talk. Talk.